Welcome to the Worship Theology Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy Perigo, and in this podcast, I bring in guest theologians, scholars, musicians, Christian leaders, and together we attempt to bridge faith and ministry praxis. Worship Theology is a podcast to fuel and nurture vital discussions on worship, music, and theology. So we're so glad that you've joined us as we think deeply about Christian worship. My guest is Professor Paul Mueller, who's one of the world's most performed living composers. The Guardian says his music is marked by something outside of himself that is beautifully spatial and evocative of landscape. It illuminates both our past and our future. Paul, it's yeah, it's so good to chat with you today. Thanks for for joining me on this podcast. My pleasure. Yeah, well, I'd love for for my audience, those listening, students who are engaging, just to get to know you a little bit. I've shared your bio, but particularly this is a podcast kind of about about Christian worship and would you be willing to share just a, a meaningful experience of your your own in Christian worship, whether that's as as a musician, as a composer, or as someone sit, sitting in the pews? Is there a time that, yeah, as you as you think about Christian worship, like what's what's a personal experience that maybe has been meaningful to you? Yeah, th- thank you very much, Jeremy, and, and it's great to be with you. I, I think there's been so many, um, th- uh, <laughs> which is a tricky one. I think that's not a bad. In... That's not a bad problem, though. If there's been many <laughs> meaningful ones. That, that's not bad. <laughs> I think for me, it's it's when uh, it's when everything comes together. Um, so it's when the, the sermon, it's when the music, the space, the people you're with, um, uh, then all that comes together, and you, you really feel the Holy Spirit with you. Um, I think that that and there's been so luckily for me, there's been so yeah. many of those. And it, it often happens when you're least expecting it. Um, yeah. You might have had a bad morning, you know, <laughs> didn't want to yeah. get up for church or something like that in a grumpy mood. And then suddenly it happens. And, and yeah. uh, oh, there's been loads of those, particularly when I was young, when I was a kid, I had a lot of those moments where I didn't want to go to church. And then suddenly I was touched by it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been so many. Um, but, Just but a, the, sense, the, the, a sense of transcendence, was it? Or, or more... God's closeness in the music or a little bit of both? <laughs> I think, yeah, it's a bit, you kind of, yeah, it's a kind of out-of-body experience in a strange kind of way. Um, it's, it's as if you've suddenly you've listened to the sermon and it's touched you, in a, you know, it's, let's be honest, um, I, I, <laughs> sermons don't often touch me if I be truthful, um, but if it does and you suddenly mm. start thinking that the, the pastor is talking to you directly and then suddenly the music follows, which is just exactly right for that and then and I suddenly go, into a world beyond thinking, mm. Um, mm. which is um, when I, I really feel closeness to God, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, on, on the composition side, you compose lots and lots of different styles, types of music. You're a professor of composition, so you teach teach that and have taught that. What What has drawn you to writing sacred choral music, and particularly music used in worship settings, in, in liturgical settings? Yeah, it's it's quite a dramatic start to the story, so I do apologise for that. But I was I was a kid. I was nine years old, and um, I was hyperactive. I still am. I'm on medication for hyperactivity, um, and so um, anyone that knows me knows that I literally never stop. Um, and so uh, when I was I, I, I was with I grew up in Wales, which is a, a small country on the west coast of Great Britain. God, God's and, country. God's own country. God's that's true. Country. And it's so beautiful. There, it really is. And I, uh, my brother used to look after me, and we'd gone out into a into a river called Dimlicwy in Welsh, um, and we couldn't cross. My brother went downstream to find a crossing and told me to wait there, but of course I was I didn't, and I tested the water and I fell in. 
and I was nine wow. and I couldn't swim. Um, wow. And I was drowning. And as I was drowning, uh, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, but you see and hear still, uh, you hear the water and you see everything. And I realized I couldn't get out and my brother was away. Couldn't get him to uh, hear me, of course. And so I just thought, this is it. And um, I kind of surrendered to death. Um, and when I did that, the most amazing thing happened to me. Time slowed down. I, I, when I explain this, people don't understand, but it's as if everything just stopped. Um, and, and the most amazing warmth came over me that, I, that I've never experienced since. Um, and it felt like where I was going, I didn't hear any voices or anything like that or see anything, yeah. but it felt like where I was going was actually not so bad and that, yeah. that it was inevitable, almost mm. like falling asleep. Mm. Um, and so... Then I just woke up. I was obviously dragged out of the river and resuscitated. And I said to my dad, I want to find out what that warmth is um, because I didn't know. You know, we were churchgoers, but as a kid of nine, you don't really yeah. think about <laughs> things. <laughs> I wasn't really thinking about it. I was thinking about Transformers figures I wanted to get home and play with. You know, um, So he took me into the cathedral. It was an Anglican cathedral. Um, and to meet with the dean to talk about this. And as I went in, the, the choir was rehearsing. Um, music and I just I heard what was the closest thing at that point anyway that came to that warmth was in sound um, and I said to the Dean that you know I've had all my answers now um, and it's in music and he said yeah well music will give you answers far better than I can um, and so that's how I came into it I auditioned and got in to the choir and um, and sang as a little boy uh, right the way through from nine until I was 18 and went off to college so that's how I started because we sang sacred music in the Anglican tradition in Great Britain, I don't know if your listeners know, but we, we sing all the offices of the day. So there's four services a day for a kid, uh, and you sing all of this great music. Uh, and so so I was in it. I was immersed in it. Um, and so I thought, well, I think I can have a go at that, <laughs> rather arrogantly. There's something arrogant about being a composer. You know, saying, listen to this, you know, it's quite arrogant. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll have a go. Uh, and so I started writing music for my friends. Yeah, that's how it started. So yeah, wow. If, if I hadn't heard. I've known you a little bit, and to hear that kind of near-death experience that helped fuel your vocation and calling as a as a composer and as a musician is. It did. I mean, I, yeah. I thought initially that I was being called to be a priest. Uh, that's what yeah. I thought, but I wasn't. And and it's funny that as soon as I heard the music, it's as if God said, "This is what, you, what I want you to do." Um, uh, so I thought, right, yeah, and you know, I. That, so it's a kind of surrogate priesthood in a strange yeah. kind of way, because you're evangelizing as a composer in a strange yeah. way. Yeah. And in some ways, like as you shared for yourself as a ch- as a child, like actually coming into that musical context and musical atmosphere was evangelism. Was it drew yeah. you to to know God? And so music has that ability, the kind of aesthetics to preach, to teach, um, to, yeah, help others know and encounter God. It it does. And the funniest thing, you know, obviously I'm a Christian, of course, but I'm interested in all world religions. So if you start reading about uh, all religions have music at some point, somewhere in them. Um, and I think that's that's a fascinating thing when you think about it. And when you start looking at, at you know the very the very first human beings, they sang before they could speak in a strange kind of way. It's it's, it's very interesting uh, to, to see how important music is in faith. Yeah, I remember of being now as you say that reminded of a number of lectures from Jeremy Begbie around kind of <laughs> our kind of evolutionary biology of our voice and how that yeah how that connects with with like our core 
core being as huma- humans. It's something very core to us. Again, yeah. no matter what religious tradition, those of faith, of no faith, there's something very, very musical in just our own our own voices. And as we encounter pain, sighing, and um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 fascinating how how we're designed in that way. It is, and there are very few species that have music. Of course, there are some along yeah. with us, but 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 very few. Uh, and, and it's often held for the most intelligent species. And, and it's fascinating. I heard a, uh, somebody sent me a lecture that J.R.R. Tolkien gave, you know, the, the author of Lord yeah, of the Rings. Yeah. He gave once in which he said that it's as if there is a song that runs throughout all life. And we are every now and again allowed to tap into it. Um, and of course, he used that metaphor for his own... Lord of the Rings. So the Lord of the Rings universe begins with a song, a song, um, yeah. just like uh, in some Hindu traditions. So, yeah. so I think it's uh, it's fascinating that there is the great song which we all every now and again allowed to to tap into. What what inspires you? This is from a, a, a worship professor fr- friend of mine. I said I was going to be talking to you, and he said he just wanted to know broadly what inspires you to write such beautiful music. So he's a fan. So if, oh, if, nice. if you know that, I can appreciate that. But just was was curious about just some of your, your inspiration for, for all the music you're writing. I think it's, it's a funny thing for me now, because uh, in many ways, it's the act of composing that is prayerful for me. So it's sitting down at my desk. I do that now. I'm, I'm almost full-time composing now. I do very little teaching. And and I sit down at my desk for five hours a day. And and for me, the, there's a, you get into a kind of strange state where you're kind of in between worlds. And for me, that is that the process of writing is an act of prayer um, because you, the closest you are to yourself and to God, I think. Um, I think what inspires me is, first of all, that I can't not do that. I'm called to it. To write, let alone to hear the finished thing, but then afterwards, because composing, just as writing is, is very, um, uh, it's a very solitary act. So then, when I go and hear the music, I then become part of the, of the kind of 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 the performance with other people, and I think that really inspires me to see how they are touched by by it or, or not. Of course, the case may be, and I think that that that, that those are the things that really inspire me, and and also looking at because I write texts that are, are very old I, I set music to words that are very 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 old some of them well, yeah. one of them is in the fourth century you know um and so i i'm engaged with the past as well which is fascinating to me um and if you go into these great ancient cathedrals in europe particularly um people have been singing there for a thousand years in some cases and so the the, the spirit of these people echo in that place and you really feel part of it's a huge tradition um which yeah. which um is inspirational in itself for me anyway. Yeah, and you're you're drawing from that in in new and contemporary ways within your yeah, within your compositions, but also I yeah, I love the approach of drawing from the past. I think that's particularly what a number of kind of modern contemporary Christian writers, particularly the band-led type settings, yeah. um, have been to, been thinking more of of how can we re, retune a hymn, or how can we draw from some rich theological or doctrinal concepts from the past, but bring it yeah. bring it to the future. Um, Paul, you've you've held both classical and pop charts in the UK, <laughs> particularly yeah. a Tender Light, one of your your projects with the Tenenbrae Choir and Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Like how how is that possible to hold a pop chart and a classical yeah. chart be kind of it's, at the top of those two very different genres in many in many senses with a, often different audiences? Um, how 
how was yeah. that possible? Well, yeah, it was an accident, really. Um, none of us <laughs> realized um, that was going to. No one. Well, the funniest thing is, no one, no one knew it was going to happen. So, and it was never. No, so we released this uh, an album for a better uh, want of a term of 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 you know sacred music <laughs> for choir and orchestra you know which you wouldn't think would necessarily be popular but suddenly it, it got a, a, a pop radio station uh, here BBC Radio One and BBC Radio Two which are pop stations got a hold of this somehow I don't know how and they started playing it um, most unlike anything else they've ever had on the. And um, people started getting it, and so there was a the real issue came when, when they do the charts, you know, in the UK, uh, there are very specific things which mean that something should be in a chart. So, uh, with my piece, they didn't know whether they were going to have it classical or popular or Christian or what. Yeah. So they put it in for all of them. So it was number one in all of the all of the charts, which was the first time, the only time that's ever done, and, it's, and it will be the only time because they've changed the rules now. <laughs> Okay. Um, so yeah, it was an accident. It was an accident. <laughs> Did they change the rules to prevent you from doing it again? No, I'm just, I, I'm just kidding. No, I'm I think, kidding. I think no, no, it was, it was a good point. I think they changed. The, they never had this situation. Yeah. So it never come yeah. up, and yeah. so they thought well, it's, it's it is a bit crazy that one thing can be number one all over the place. So now you can only only be number one in one in one area of the chart. Um, but uh, yeah, it did, and it, it outsold. Uh, in terms of sales, which is a little bit crass to tell, talk about that, but it, it, it outsold everything else by about ten to one, which wow. was insane. You know, and no one, no one expected that. Do you think we we make you know thinking of that is is even a little case study? Do we make too much in the church, the academy, or even in the industry around kind of highbrow music and and lowbrow? Do we make those um, clear cut categories maybe a little a little too clear at times? Yeah, I think so, uh, because I think music is music at the end of the day. And I, uh, if you say to somebody, oh, this is a highbrow concert, they'll go in with that, with that mindset. And, and some people will have their mindset to not liking it before they even hear it. Whereas if you just play music to someone, and I've done that quite a lot of parties or something, people will go, oh, that's really good. I would never have listened to that. And, and I think that likewise the other way around, you know, I've got a lot of highbrow brackets friends who wouldn't think twice of going to a, to a, to a band concert. Yeah. But actually, if they just heard it by accident, they might well like it. So I think yeah. categorizing is always tricky uh, in music and in anything, really. Yeah. And I, again, I understand why there's traditions, particularly in the academy and different churches have different, yeah, kind of heart languages that they, they uh, you know, heart musical languages that they prefer has been a part of their denomination or tradition. But at the same time, I think there's, yes, a, a, a beauty in stretching <laughs> our ears a little bit and and able to understand the other people who are maybe different or have different tastes, but also to understand the diversity and beauty of God um, as as creator too. Yeah, absolutely. What, I had a question from um, yeah from a actually from a, a a student who who asked it this way: Do you think composers of highbrow music, particularly worship music or liturgical music, do you think they can learn anything from contemporary worship bands? Um, both maybe musically something they could learn, or also in their approach to liturgy or flow within within worship. Yeah, I think I think anybody can learn anything from anything really, and I think it's um if you stop if you stop learning, it's time to give up. I, I remember when I was um. When I was a little boy, I went to meet the great composer Sir Michael Tippett. It was his 90th birthday, and and I was a guest, and I went with somebody else, and I went in, and he said, oh, what do you do? And I said, I'm learning to be a composer. And he said, and so am I. And he was 90. Um, and I thought, that's the most amazing thing 
that we're all doing the same thing. And of course, you can learn. I've learned. I learned from everything. I mean, uh, I, even I mean, I, 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 the other day I was in the United States uh, last week, and, and somebody played me some contemporary country and western music, which I'd never heard. And I just thought, wow, there, there's the sounds in there which I'd never heard. And so that, that yeah, there's always something you can learn from everything. Um, and I think. It's either a, a, a sad person or, or a stupid one that is not prepared to, <laughs> if that's yeah. not too blunt. No, yeah. no I, think, I think that's the challenge. There's many, yeah, even sometimes students or friends, even myself, where you think you've arrived, whether that's in a skill, a field, yeah. an area of knowledge. or Yeah, maybe it's something you really, really love, but there is a great... Um, potential for growth by sitting sitting at the feet of yeah. others and other other music or other styles to learn which is again why on this particular podcast we're having you you're you're a contemporary <laughs> christian music composer but probably not one that many of my listeners have have engaged with and so to for us to be able to to draw from you is there is there something for those that are in those band settings as you've you know had research students that have looked at kind of the contemporary worship band setting or in your own experience just being connected is there is there things that you might um challenge them or encourage them in kind of their their own musical or liturgical approaches i just uh yeah i uh, yeah i've had a, a a student recently who's been studying this particular area and and that's what got me interested in it as well um and i think for me i think the thing i would ask of anybody is what i ask of myself is that you've got whatever you're doing uh, you have to do it to the absolute best of your ability and you you have to keep trying to find is there a better way of doing it or can i find a a, a, a more substantial way of getting the point that i want to do musically across so i think i think immersing yourself in as much music as possible, studying. For me, you see, what, what, uh, I think that God deserves the absolute best. Um, and so for me, uh, it needs to be the very, very best music that I can write. Um, yeah. uh, and and uh, as a gift, it has to be the absolute best. Um, and so for me, that faith, it, 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 it's that really digging deep inside your, your soul and in, and in broadening your intellect to make sure that what you're doing really is uh, the best you can do, and I would say that to anybody, whatever their area is, even if you're, you're, you're writing just simple melodies, is it the best simple melody that you can ever write? <laughs> That's the thing that that I think is important, and you only do that by studying and by listening and by thinking. How do, how do you know when something's done? <laughs> when a piece is is ready? What's what what's yeah, a little of that that final process yeah, look that, like for you. That's a good one. That's a good question because sometimes you don't. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you uh, you really don't, um, and sometimes you get it wrong. Um, you'll hear it back and think, "Oh no, that's not." So, um, but often with me because I've written a lot of music now over the last thirty years, is um, is I kind of it feels right to me. And what it is is it, for me, it's the proportions of a piece. I mean, uh, when we reach the, the crescendo or the climax, and so, is that all? Does that work? So when it's finished, does it feel like it's finished for everybody? So I sing through everything um, to myself. If somebody's watching me; they'll think I'm an idiot, you know. They, but I kind of sing through rather badly all of the parts to make sure. That it all works um, and that's technically good and strong. So I spend ages over these things. Even though I write quickly, I spend a lot of time making sure that everything is um, feels right to me. So first, for you, is do some of these these pieces come very quickly, and others that 
you could maybe be spending months, years on what? What does that look like for you, Paul? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, so, sometimes I, I'll think of a, a right. I'm going to write a, a piece about something, you know, and I'll wake up in the morning and it's fully formed. You know, literally through the night something has happened, and and uh, and I'll sit down and write the whole piece there and then, and it's done. And sometimes I've, I worked on one piece for seven years, um, coming back to it, and I just couldn't do it. And half of that, of course, is if you're dealing with these great texts. Um, and you're young, you haven't lived enough to fully understand them. And you have to have gone through things. Um, for example, I did, a, a, your, your listeners may not know, a text called the Stabat Mater, which is an ancient text, which is Latin, and it means um, the mournful mother was standing, and it's about Mary standing at the foot of the cross, and the pain that she goes through seeing her son die. So she doesn't leave, she stays there till the end, one of the few of them that did, um, and sees it all. And, you know, how do you set that text unless you've understand pain um so i had to live um yeah. and and see it and understand it and and then of course you can tap in to to your own and it matters because you can't do it justice otherwise so so yeah some things just need you to live for a while yeah. before you can i write. mean in, in that case it, it, you're then i'm what i'm hearing is drawing from some very personal experiences of your own pain or or pain within your community or friendship is that is that a little what what you're saying about that life experience like if you're going to write on pain (laughs) or write music that that draws from that you got to live you got to live a little well i think if it's it's like it's like chopin you know the great uh, composer of piano music all of his music is about love um you can't understand his music unless you've loved because you don't know what it is i mean you think you do until you have and then you realize Um, and i think that people work out rather quickly if something is superficial um, and if you're dealing with big subjects like this, they can't be superficial. They have to be. They have to be. Um, they have to come from the heart, um, and that's when it connects with people because people can feel it. Um, uh, uh, we all can. You know, we know when we read C.S. Lewis, when we read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we know the pain that he has felt with his mother's death. It's all in there, um, and I think it's really, it's really important. Um, uh, otherwise, it doesn't touch people and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, which is to enrich someone. Uh, and to bring them closer to to the presence of God or the Spirit. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. One of my one of my colleagues here at Dort University knew I was going to interview you, and he he threw this question to me um, for you, Paul. How do you find or choose the texts that you set in your particularly choral compositions, but other compositions, even even the one you were just talking about? How did you find that or choose that um, particular text? Well, so, sometimes I have a whole host of books that I've been buying over the over the centuries, uh, I'm ancient now, and, and started, uh, and I, I kind of read through them all, and, and sometimes things just speak to me, uh, or people send me them. So quite often I've got uh, pastor friends or priests friends who, who, who say, oh, you might be interested in this, I've just come across this, and they'll send me either a contemporary poem or an ancient text, which I kind of heard of but never really knew. Um, and I've got friends also that I can talk to texts about, you know, professors of philosophy and stuff who can who can find inner meanings in things which I'd missed in a reading. So so it, it's it's a it, yeah so it, it's a number of ways that I find I find texts and some of them happen by accident. Um, my brother has has, uh, has his daughter um, Nicole, who's my my niece. Um, she she sent me um, the the Christina Rossetti in the Bleak Midwinter, which of course as a child I'd sung that you know we all know the Christmas Carol, yeah. but I'd never. I'd never really read the words, and it's amazing because it's about this this little girl 
um, saying, what can I give? You know, what I can I give him? I give my heart. It's the last line. And it's the most amazing thing. And so that really touched me. So I did my own setting of that. Um, and so all sorts of things uh, draw me to texts. I think there has to be some aspect of truth in them. There has to be something in them that touches me. And I think if it touches me, it'll, it may well touch other people. Do you, you know, you're writing for lots of different settings, different events, certain albums, like as, as you approach things that will be used in Christian worship and kind of a liturgical setting, is there a different approach as you're composing for um, that rather writing a, you know, a, a song, a hymn for, you know, a composition for a more performative context or a specific group? Is there, is there a difference as you're thinking before, between kind of worship sacred music versus other things or is for you is it yeah is is com- com- composing composing no matter what yeah. what context y- yes and no uh, yeah. i'll give you an el- elvish answer yes yes <laughs> and no uh, yes that um composing is composing and i yeah that's basically what it, but but you are right that there are different ways of, of doing i've literally just a couple of weeks ago wrote written a hymn the first official hymn of the royal air force uh, they didn't have a hymn and so they asked me to, to write it so so I know that that's going to be a hymn that will be sung at funerals, that will be sung uh, at um, passing out parades when Air Force men and women become... So, so I know it needs to be sung by everybody. So everybody needs to be able to sing it. So so I can't write a very complex melody. It needs to be very straightforward and direct. So, yeah, I do think about the occasion. Um, but there's a difference between doing that and then writing a symphony, you know, or a, or a requiem mass. They're different things. Uh, so I do think differently about, about the practicalities of it, yeah. I mean, as as an American and someone not deeply steeped in the British choral tradition, I think the first composition I heard of yours was Ubi Keritas, like at the wedding of Prince William and Catherine Middleton. Can you share, again, you kind of did this with the, the previous hymn you were talking about, but share a little bit of the history of this ancient hymn for those who might not be... Um, familiar with it as uh, as yeah. yeah it's been a part of the 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 lyrical content's been a part of the church for a long time and then also how take us through maybe a little bit of your own approach to to composing around this this ancient text yeah the text is ubi ubi caritas et amor which is latin which so where yeah. there is um, charity there there is God you know where there is love there is God um, and it's it's a it's a oh it's uh, uh, the text that that I used um, is from the fourth century and. And it's um, it, it's about the washing of the feet. So it's so it's about Jesus coming to serve rather than be served. And and it's always sung traditionally in in, in the Western churches on on Monday Thursday. Um, that's when it's kind of set in the calendar. Um, and so it's been set. Um, that, that text has been set by many composers. And there's a plain chart to it, um, which is ancient. Um, and so when I was asked to write the music for 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 uh, the anthem for the wedding of of uh, uh, Prince William and Catherine Middleton. Um, that that seemed to me the most amazing text because it's it's about Catherine was just about to enter a lifetime of service, so it seemed the right text to 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 to, to do that. And so so I set it uh, and how I, I decided what I wanted to do is as I said to you at the beginning when I had that drowning experience everything slowed down. So a lot of my music is very very slow um, and almost static. Uh, and so I wanted a moment of real calm in this epic wedding you know 2.5 billion people tuned in there were photographers everywhere it was an enormous Westminster Abbey so it's a hectic thing so this is two and a half three minutes of stillness Um, and it's at the point where William and Catherine are at the altar 
um, waiting for the prayers from the Bishop of London and the Archbishop of Canterbury. So it was a very powerful mo moment. And so I wanted it to be absolute stillness because I'm always touched by that, um, that wonderful saying, where is God? Is he in the mountains? No, he's the still small yeah. voice. And, yeah. and for me, that speaks much more powerfully than anything else. And so this is very still music. Um, and I, I wanted it to feel like time had stopped. And so we had a chance to reflect upon what the day means to this couple. Yeah, I know personally that's that's one of my go-tos in those moments of needing after a chaotic day before I leave leave the office for home or or starting a busy day. That's that's one of your pieces that I actually um, listen. Yeah, listen to 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 again to to still down to calm to increase just my awareness of the yeah God's presence and um, His activity and yeah I love that background story. Um, yeah, how. One one of your um, not, yeah not not critics in a negative way, but a music critic in the Guardian writes this about you. There's there's a chal challenge to the destructive culture of instant gratification, if ever there was one. Paul Mueller has heard that challenge, but his music makes a challenge of its own to the church. That gentle insistence and calm persuasion are more Christ-like. Than the arguments of the synods. It kind of goes back to a little bit of our earlier discussion on music kind of as evangelism or music as theology, music as helping people encounter encounter the living God. How might your music, other music, help people encounter God? Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. That, that, uh, that's a nice review. That, it's it? a nice review, right? You, you <laughs> well, probably had some. That. <laughs> that's, that's one of the good uh, ones, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh, I've had some bad ones as well. Uh, I think, um, well, for me, I think the interesting thing is I go around now to lots of places uh, talking about sacred music. And, and the interesting thing is I often find in church as well that people are more interested in talking about God than listening to him. And so people spend a lot of time talking about things and, and analyzing things, which of course you have to do, um, but often forget that actually he doesn't speak to us in those in those arguments. Um, he speaks to us in the stillness. Um, I think so. Some people may disagree, but I think he speaks to us in stillness. He speaks to us when our minds are calm and clear. Um, and music is one of the best um, tools that, that we have to 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 help us do that. And one of the things that amazes me is like the most of the letters that I tend to get are from people who've never heard this kind of music before and find that they can meditate and, and into a transcendental state in these in these pieces um, and, and can find that. So I think I think for me that that is the the most important thing about this type of music. There are there's different music for different moods, for example. You can have a great big crash bang wallop sing and, and put your arms in the air and praise uh, Hosanna and all of that stuff, which yeah. is great and important and good for the soul. But there's another um, music which which is still and quiet and calm and and takes you to God in a very different way. Um, and I believe um, a more profound way um, because joy is one thing, but stillness and contemplation is is another. Um, there's a reason why it's so important. <laughs> um, and I think in our modern world, we've lost it. Um, and I'm trying in my music to, to, to bring that um, uh, to a, a semi-popular forum, I think. Yeah. And that, yeah, and I hope I hope many listeners will jump on Spotify or <laughs> Apple Music or whatever <laughs> they use and, and connect with your music. In particular, I think there's, yeah, that uh, he, 
healing aspect of particularly those of us that are stressed, uh, wrestling with anxiety, other things like to, to have those moments of, of thoughtful, personal contemplation um, outside of the chaos of life to just sit and enjoy music for what it is. And particularly that, yeah, yeah, that the pace, the melodies, the harmonies that you're drawing in enables us to have, have a pause, have a, have a moment of Sabbath. It's so important. I mean, you know, we, we just look at, at the, the rise in, in mental health problems yeah. um, because people are doing too much. Um, yeah. uh, we're never off social media, are we, any of us? Are. And I think that that's so much. Um, I've seen it myself with students and friends that it can get too much for people. And I think it's important to have those moments of stillness. One of the many, some of the many lessons that I, that I get now are from people who are at the end of their life. Um, so people who are uh, in respite care, or and their families who play this music now uh, uh, as they as they pass, um, and and that's the most touching thing in the world to hear that 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 is with them at that moment. Um, yeah, and as a as a composer, I can't yeah I can't imagine that feeling of being able to essentially be present <laughs> through your music um, in some of these powerful. Um, life transitions kind of that yeah moments of pain at a at a funeral or or moments of of joy at a a a massive wedding celebration and it's yeah yeah, such a powerful thing for you your music to yeah to help become a soundtrack to those those experiences for for people it is it's it's very touching i mean i had one one letter some time ago now 10 years ago and, and it was from a guy in texas and he'd um he'd he said in the letter um you know i I, this day I had a rope around my neck and he said, I heard this music coming. He said, I took the rope from around my neck to hear what it was. He said, it was a piece of yours. He said, and you saved my life. And so he joined a choir and, and he's singing and and wow. you just don't know what place people are in when they come yeah. to hear something. Yeah. Um, we've all got our own things going on in our lives and and sometimes somebody will hear something and and it, it'll infect them. You just you just never know with music. It's an amazing thing. I think it's one of the greatest gifts we've ever been given. Um, yeah. Really is. Well, Paul, you're you're a gift too. Also, you this. Thank you for for being a part of this today. Like you've you've taken yeah some vulnerability and taken us to a deep a deep place as we think about yeah about worship, about music, about composition, and even yeah we've dabbled in theology. So your 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 Aberdeen colleagues in the theology department <laughs> m- might appreciate this. We'll see as we'll as out. we wrap <laughs> as we wrap up today. Do you, is there any words of encouragement or even challenge? That, that you'd like to leave for those who are working to write music for the church or for kind of settings of, of Christian worship? Oh, yes. Uh, I, I think the most, most important thing is they, they have to listen to the, to the Spirit. Um, and that's harder than, than, than it is, is easy to say. Um, but you have to give yourself time to meditate upon what the Spirit's asking you to do, the Holy Spirit. And also, um, you have to do the very best you can whatever it is so if you're sitting down to write a, a worship song or a hymn or or a piece of sacred art music do it the very best that you can you know seek out good teachers find good musicians to, to advise and 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 say and say if, if i'm going to do this then i want it to be the very best of me that's what i would say to anybody yeah that's great advice listen to the spirit and do your best <laughs> that's awesome paul
What a treat. Thanks for thanks for your time, your energy, and also your your contribution to both the Academy, but also to to the church and even beyond as your music is is used in so many different amazing contexts. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Thanks for listening today, and a special thanks to the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship for their support of this podcast.